Okay, so, some people came in and said, you're changing your times again? For and, and, then, and then other people were like, I can't believe there's a church sign out there. So um, I saw it when I came in this morning, and uh, the Village Church is a, another church. We, we actually have the amazing privilege of being in a town that has some amazing churches that are all proclaiming Jesus in the same town. And so that, that's just amazing. It's phenomenal. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we have obligations to as our brothers and sisters in Jesus is to cheerlead for them when they're doing good, to come alongside them and weep with them when they're not doing well, and to, uh, and to support them in prayer. We should be praying for other churches, right? And so if you've been waiting to pray for another church in town and you've been waiting for a sign, there's one on Cody and Wabina. And so what I want to do is I want us to, I'm one of those guys that doesn't believe in coincidences. And so you see something like that and that should prompt us to want to pray, right? And so what we should do is we should be praying that God just does amazing stuff. Pastor Nate is preaching in, at their Seneca campus. God's doing amazing stuff for the village. They've got a Manuka campus and they have a Seneca campus. So we're going to pray for Pastor Nate today and as well as whoever's preaching at the Manuka campus. So let's just, we join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we get a chance to be on the same team with churches like the village and other churches in this town that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Um, we're not in a situation, Lord, where we're the only church that's proclaiming that. We have a chance to be on the same team with other people who are communicating that amazing, life-changing message. And so we are asking you, God, today that you just empower Pastor Nate and Seneca to proclaim your word and your truth in bold ways. Lord, we pray for the Manuka campus, that God, you just do amazing things for ministry today. Whatever struggles they're experiencing, I pray that you come alongside them, that you encourage them, that you assist them. And Lord, whatever things that are going epic and wonderful, Lord, we give you praise and glory, and we just say, keep doing that there. Once again, we just give you thanks for the opportunity to be alongside them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I uh, texted Pastor Nate this morning, and I just texted him a picture of it, and I said, so are you going to actually put your sign on our property next week? I mean, come on, man. All right, Matthew 5, uh, 15. If you guys have got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them. Please stand for prayer, not prayer, uh, for the reading of God's w Word. It is so much fun to be on the same team with people that love Jesus and are proclaiming him, and Nate's one of those guys. Matthew chapter 15, this is where Jesus is getting himself in trouble again, consistently offending others and getting himself in trouble with the religious people in town. And um, again, this is no exception, but it starts in chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that which what they may have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father and mother with it? Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And then Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So we are coming to the end of our series um, in Guardrails. And Guardrails, our series um, is... Actually, let me get this fixed here. Guardrails is coming to an end by... um, This week is going to be our second to last week, and then next week we're going to be going on from there. All right, Vince, I think I'm... I'm dead here, and so I'm going to go ahead and just touch this as my remote. Okay. Oh, did I? Wow. All right. So we're in guardrails. And so guardrails, as we've all been talking about, guardrails are put in areas of safety, not danger. Okay? Safety, not danger. We put guardrails on the side of the road so that you don't go over the road and into the ditch or down the, down the cliff. We don't put guardrails down the, halfway down the cliff. That's dumb. We go ahead and put them right on the side of the road in an area of safety so that If you, with your vehicle, hit the guardrail, it's going to damage your vehicle, it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be unpleasant, it might even be costly, but way less uncomfortable, way less costly, and way less damaging than if if that guardrail had not been there. Guardrails are there to ding into so that you don't do deeper damage. That's the whole purpose of a guardrail, both on the road and in life. We've been talking about that, the, the fact that guardrails are intended to direct us and protect us. And God's word, it doesn't just give us the good news of Jesus. It actually says, here's some guardrails for your life so that if you ding into them, you're not going to end up in financial, relational, emotional ruin that you have otherwise would have if you were just like paying attention to the white lines that you can just go right on over and choose your own adventure. So the truth is, is that this is something that comes down to a passage that we just read in, in Solomon's writings of Proverbs. Now Solomon was called like the smartest guy in the ancient world. Everyone said this guy, he's the wisest person in the ancient world. Some people believe he's the most smart person of all time. He's a guy who knew all the right stuff, but sometimes made epic fails with his own decisions. So we can relate to that. But he is someone who, who wrote so much amazing stuff. He wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says this. He says, above, oh, did I, I did that. I did that. Yes. Small victories, folks. Above all else. Above all else. So that, you know what's crazy about that? That's saying, that what that's communicating is this. I've written a lot of stuff. All of it's important. The stuff that's inspired by God, it's all inspired by God. But if you missed everything I said, or if you missed three quarters of what I said, or you missed almost all of what I said, don't miss this. Above everything else, above all else that you're doing, above all else that I've communicated, above all else, do this. Guard your heart. Which is like, what? You've talked about a lot of really important stuff with our decision making. And you're saying above that, guard your heart? How in the world could you prioritize guarding our heart? Heart, for them, was like the center of our decision-making. Why is that the most important thing? Well, he elaborates. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. I've told this story tons of times, and so if you've heard it tons of times, I apologize. But there was a time where I really, really wanted to be a good runner, Ended up running in the Warrior Dash when it was over at Challenge Park in Juliet, and I ended up in an, waking up in an ambulance and uh, going to Silver Cross Hospital, the emergency room. It was a crazy, crazy day, and it all happened because of the fact I don't, I don't, I'm not, an, I'm not an athlete. I'm not someone who like knows how to run, and so I was like, I want to do the Warrior Dash because that's like racing for posers. Um, run, people who run, they just run because I am beating my time, or I'm a runner because I love running and it, I compete well. Warrior Dash is like, there's a lot of people who that does not work for them. So we're going to throw in like fire and barbed wire and, you know, danger. And then 
and, and a t-shirt and a, you know, basically they want to, they're, they're incentivizing it the best way they can, speaking to people like me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do the warrior dash. And so I didn't train in the daytime where it's hot because it's, it's hot. And so like I, I trained at nighttime, trained at nighttime when it was nice and cool. So I wasn't prepared for the day of the race when it was 96 degrees plus humidity with a heat index of 104. And it's like out there, and it's like that Illinois feeling where you're, you feel the heat off the grass. It's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like Friday. Okay. And so, like all the, and so I've got that. On top of that, I didn't know things like, like what you should be fueling your body with to help you run. And so like I, you know, I didn't know what you were supposed to eat or whatever. And so like I had like a really small bowl of Rice Krispies and a five-hour energy shot for breakfast. No, that's not true. I had, I had the, the Rice, Rice Krispies, and I carried the five-hour energy shot with me all the way to right before I got into the race. And I'm like, you will help. And there's like, there's runners on the outside of the, the thing. So I mean, that's, it looked legit. And so I downed that and boom, I'm ready to go. And so now I've got messed up stuff in my body, not enough fuel for my body. It's crazy hot. And then I show up to run the race with Jeff Turner, Jeff Prokrifke, and Jason Domingo. And I meet them right at the front. And all of a sudden, one of the guys says, here's the deal. What we're going to do is let's have a bet. Whoever loses of the four of us has to buy everyone else coffee. Now, I'm not athletic where I'm like, I need to beat seven minutes or 12 minutes. I'm not, that's not my brain. My brain is thinking none of that. It's just like this is going to be a fun thing to go through fire and mud and, and barbed wire and stuff. And, but when I heard that, McFadden's aren't typically athletic, but they are typically competitive. Stupidly so. And so what I ended up doing was I, I ended up in a situation where I'm like, okay, this is it, I'm, I'm going to win this race. And as soon as that ribbon dropped and the fire cannons went off, and I'm like, go! All of a sudden, I was sprinting out front as fast as I could, as if like you were like, this is the last three seconds of the race. That's what I felt like, I'm going to sustain that the entire thing. And I'm going, and what made it worse was I come around the corner, and I'm the first one out of the chute, and there's this huge line of people that are all spectators. And the first person they see in the race is, is me, and what do they do? Oh, yes, they did. They were like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, man, they, I hope someone's shooting this because this is amazing. And it's like, I'm like going as fast as I can with 150%. I am, I'm, I'm going to do this the entire race. And then eventually my body starts making sounds like, you know, like athletes do. And so like, I keep going, and about halfway through the race, I feel like I'm going to puke. And I'm like, that's probably athletic too. I have no idea. And so like, I keep on going, but all of a sudden, when I'm about three-quarters of the way through the race, weird things start happening to my body. All of a sudden, as I'm like climbing over this cargo net, my fingers stop gripping because I'm feeling like they're going numb, and it's spreading into my hand, into my forearm, into my upper arm. And I'm not going to say bicep because, well, but the, this, this section arm meat. And so like I'm going over this cargo net and my hands are going like, Bleh, and they're not gripping anymore. I'm like, that's weird. And then I get down and I'm like running and I've got to like jump over some stuff. And my, from my toes, my toes start going numb and then my feet and then my legs. And then I'm just like, kind of like doing this. And I'm like, and I'm like thinking, okay, here's what I got to do. I got to finish this race. So I just got to throw these legs that are not working a little bit faster. And I'm like trying to go as fast as I can. And so like I'm going and I'm like, come on. So my hands are trying to tell me you need to stop. My legs are telling me, you need to stop. And then I got to, like, again, I'm so close to the end, and it's like this seven hills called the Hell's Hills. You're going up and down Hell's Hills. And on the sixth of seven hills of Hell's Hills, my brain slowly, everything was kind of like starting to just shut down. My brain started to shut down. And some of you are like, 
That happened a long, long time before that. <laughs> but my brain shut down, and what it says is, you're out. And I just collapsed. And I woke up in an ambulance. And they rushed me to Silver Cross, and they said, you have heat stroke, which means that your body is cooking itself on the inside. And your body is doing everything it can to preserve your absolute imperative organs. The thing it's trying to protect is your heart. The first warning sign he's going to give you is shutting down your hands and your arms and your legs and your feet. But if you keep on going, it's just going to shut you down by shutting down your brain so that, hopefully, something could happen to stop you from the trajectory you're going in to protect your heart. This is something that's so important that Solomon said it, and a thousand years later, Jesus puts an exclamation point on it. When we get into Matthew 15, again, that's where the, the Pharisees are trying to bust on him, and they say this, why do you... Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Do you remember what they were doing? Yeah, I mean, it's just atrocious. They're not washing their hands. That's unsanitary. And the thing about it that's kind of funny is that it's not like they were like, Jesus, they weren't freaking out because it was unsanitary or because there was like COVID-0001 or something circulating in the first century. The thing that they were like freaking out about was that this is a religious issue. Because what happened way before that was God gave the Hebrew people the law. And in the law, it talked to the priests and it said, okay, guys, you've got a bunch of rules and things that you've got to do that's above and beyond all the stuff that everyone else has to do. Because you guys are leading the people spiritually. That means that priests, you're always, you want your body to be completely pure if you're offering a sacrifice before God. So you're washing your hands like a maniac, okay? It's going to be like it's 2020. You're going to be washing all the time. And you're going to go ahead and, because you need to, you need to be, you're like a cop. You're on the clock nonstop. You're always going to be offering sacrifice before, the God, before God. And so you always need to be on duty and ready to go. And so if you touch blood, you got to consecrate yourself. If you, if you um, touch a dead body, you got to consecrate yourself. If you do anything that's, that everyone else has to do, that's making you ceremonially unclean. And so you got to go through a process before you could actually come back. And so washing your hands before you, you eat was not a hygienic thing for the priests. It was a, I want to present myself pure before God. And these are, uh, because I'm between the people and God, I've got to do this. That was God's law for the priests. But after a couple of hundred years, what ended up happening is the priests are like, well, hold on a second. Why doesn't everybody do that? Because for real, aren't we all supposed to be always on the clock, followers of God, not just when we're at the temple, at the tabernacle? Shouldn't, shouldn't we always be the type of people that are always ready and be presenting ourselves before God pure? So everyone has to do this. This is an expectation and a rule for everyone, which was not in the Bible. And so they call Jesus out on why he's not busting on his disciples, who are not priests, we're acting like they're not priests. So Jesus throws the ball back in their court. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? And so what, what he's communicating is this. This is the problem with what, and this is the confusing part of what Jesus was saying there. What Jesus is identifying here is this. They had this, uh, this built-in law. It's not in the Bible, but they have this built-in law to do this, this weird thing of if I want to, like, I, if I'm an adult and I've been working and I've been accumulating a little bit of something on the side, a little bit of wealth, I've got a little bit in the bank, at some point my parents are going to need help. They're going to need, like, they're going to get older and, and I'm going to need to take care of them. But I don't want to take care of my parents. Like, I'm tired. I mean, they were super strict. I couldn't do anything as a kid. And now they need my help? No. My parents told me I'd never be an artist. Now look at me, I'm an artist. They, they had that type of mindset. And so what they said was this. We've got to build in a system that what we do is we're going to give all that we have, all of our, all the money we have in the bank, we're going to put it in the temple and dedicate it to God. 
but we can use the temple like an ATM and access and make withdrawals whenever we need the money. And so that helps us, one, feel religious, which is awesome. Two, it helps us do this. Whenever mom or dad are like, son, we need your help. Like, oh, I'd love to help you, mom and dad, but all that I have has already been given to the Lord's work. Whenever a person's like, man, I just lost my job. We really are, are struggling. Can you help us out? Oh, I so would. But everything I have has been given to the temple. It was super backwards, super shady, and they were able to, again, withdraw any amount that they wanted to live off of, and they were operating as, this is, this is perfectly cool. And Jesus is like, no, this is not perfectly cool. He continues. He says, this, with this, you, you know, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your stupid tradition. Okay, he doesn't say stupid, but I said stupid. Stupid tradition. Pastor Eric, a couple weeks back, got in trouble for saying um, the S word in a sermon because like, there was a kid in the audience. The kid leans over to his, to his mom and is like, Pastor Eric said a bad word. So if, but stupid, stupid tradition. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, why are you doing this? You hypocrites. Why are you stepping into this? And then he continues. He, like, he kind of like stops talking to the religious elite and he says, okay, guys, huddle up. What, does, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them? What goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. What comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. And people are kind of like, I don't, I don't completely understand what you're saying. In fact, it kind of feels like you're calling out the Pharisees, but I don't know what you're saying because they're talking about a religious rule that helps us feel religious, and you're talking about like food that goes into your mouth and it not being defiling. I don't get it. And, and it's so funny because all throughout the Gospels, you see Peter wanting to run interfer- interference for Jesus. Almost like, okay, you came across a little strong there. You know? And so in this passage, he's, he's like, Jesus, it kind of sounds like you're being kind of a, trying to offend the Pharisees. Are you just being provocative? Why are you saying this type of stuff? Like, I mean, I understand what you're saying. This makes perfect sense to me. But there's some, I don't want to use the word because there's kids around, but there's some stupid disciples in here. You know, like they don't understand as well. So could you just like slow it down and teach us a little bit slowly so we can actually all get what you're saying? And so Jesus responds to him really sensitively. Are you so dull? And then he slows it down for Peter. Okay, Peter, don't you see that whatever you put into your mouth, with me so far, Peter? Yes, Jesus. Okay, good. Goes into your stomach. Yes, Jesus. And then out of the body. You got that? Yes. Okay, so one more time, just because I know it's tough. Whatever you put in your mouth goes into your tummy, Peter, and then out your body. We got this, first century physiology, physical, you know, this is how the the body works. And then he says this. He kind of like just makes it very, very clear what he's saying. But that, the things that come out of a person's mouth, you can put whatever in your body and it's not going to impact your relationship with God. But the stuff that comes out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. One of the things that Jesus is just batting home is that, and this is like a new concept for them because for them, they're very much about, look, I know how to do the right things. I, did, I can check the box that I washed my hands. I can check the box that I went to the temple. I can check the box that I did this. And you know what? It's perfectly okay for me to be a royal jerk to the people around me. It's okay for me to be a royal jerk to the people I work with or my family or the people I don't really care that much about. And Jesus is saying, you want to know what defiles your relationship with God? It's not checking off these, all these extra biblical, like outside of the Bible checkbox of, of looking spiritual. It's how you treat people. It's what you say to people. 
Like all of us know someone, maybe it's you, that have blown up a relationship because of opening up our mouth and saying something we shouldn't have said. Whether it's with your parents or with your kids or your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, a coworker, all of us know someone who's been let go because they're like, okay, that's it. I just need to say this. And then they're gone. What comes out of our heart, these things defile people. Another way of putting that is this. Our behavior will eventually mirror our heart. Our behavior will eventually mirror our heart. This is what I call the pinata principle. A pinata is something that you have candy on the inside and everybody knows it. And so how do you get the candy out? Now you beat on that thing and with enough stress and with enough time, the candy's going to come out. Whatever you have in your heart, I don't care what other people think of you or what your best foot forward is or the impression you give people or how awesome people think you or I am, whatever's on your heart, enough time and enough stress will reveal. It's going to come out. And the reason that we have a hard time with this is because we've been trained in our society to have behavior modification. Behavior modification is I know how to fake it with the people I work with. I know how to fake it on a date at the beginning of a relationship. This is why, why relationships are so amazing at the beginning, because they don't know each other. Like, man, things were awesome until, like, she started having opinions about how I acted. Well, did you act that way on the first date? No. <laughs> no. Right. So what ends up happening, and it's so weird. Like, we, we're in situations, you might go to, like, if you're, like, um, a spouse of someone, and you go to some, like, work party, and everyone's just, like, freaking out about how awesome your spouse is. Oh, they're so amazing. This person is just the, they're just the nicest, kindest, most empathetic, generous spirit that I've ever met in my life. And the spouse is like, for real? Like, when did that start? It's like when, Ju- when people go up to Julie and, like, it just must be such a, a blessing being married to Errol. And Julie's like, All of us, all of us have this best foot forward mentality where we have behavior modification, where we can look good to our coworkers or our people we go to school with, the person you're dating for a period of time, the person you're married to for less time than that, and we go through our life and we have the ability to have an impression. And we have, but the thing is that most people would say, yeah, but you should see them when they're home. You should see them when they're stressed. You should see them when they're tired or hungry You should see them when life doesn't go their way. That's when the pinata principle comes out. Whatever's on the inside comes out. And the thing about it is, is that that is something that's so important for us to understand, that Jesus did not come to modify your behavior. He came to transform your heart. Because out of the heart flows everything that you do. Here's a couple of things that um, we're just going to identify at the end. Some things that should be like warning signs when you start to feel these things inside of your heart. That should be a moment for a Christian to stop and say, hold on, I need to give that back to Jesus. Um, if you're not a Christian, this is something that I want to just encourage you with, the fact that this is not for you. You don't have to worry about this. You didn't sign up to be you know, doing what Jesus said, even though you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, I, I think that you follow what Jesus says, it's going to make your life considerably better, and, and you're going to be better at doing life. But I would also say that this is not the expectation for you. However, if you're a Christian, this is like Christianity 101. This is like the, the, the nitty-gritty of, of who it means to be a person who's following Jesus and letting him transform our heart. Here's the first um, like warning sign within our heart, and, and it's guilt. 
Um, guilt is this really, really terrible thing that starts to happen in our heart that's communicating, I owe you something. Um, guilt happens when I've done something that I should tell you about, but the guilt keeps me in a, like a situation where I'm not, la- I'm not bringing resolution. I should tell you something that I've done, but I, I don't want to owe you the apology or owe you an explanation or owe you whatever it is. I, I hate owing anyone anything, and so therefore I'm going to Guilt can cause me to both be radically insecure and radically secretive. One of my favorite um, lines in the recovery movement, and they say it in Celebrate Recovery, is so great, that you're only as sick as what? Your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Guilt propels us to be more and more secretive. We don't want to live in guilt, and if we surface some of the junk that we are doing or have done in our life, then we're going to owe you an apology, an explanation, or whatever. And so when we start feeling guilty, what we're saying, we're saying, and whether it's to God or someone else, I owe you, and we hate that. The next warning sign is anger. Anger is not I owe you, but you owe me. You have done something to me. You have cost me. You have, you have done something where you have, you, have, I've, I've, you have wronged me. You have done something to me that, that's caused, and, and I am angry about it. And whether it's, it's a personal thing or it's indirectly personal or it's a national or an international thing, anger propels us to say, you owe me, and you are going to pay. You are going to pay for what you have done. And the crazy thing about anger is it never stays dormant. It leaks. It will come out. Okay? It's, it's, it's not dormant. It's, it's a super spreader. It's airborne. Anger is something that will spread. And the thing is that you might be someone who's been hurt by a parent, and you carry that anger throughout your life, and you think that finally you have escaped into your marriage, and then all of a sudden you realize that the anger that you had for them is still manifesting itself in different ways with, with your spouse. And, and then you find that you want to protect your kids, but you're finding that you're angry. The anger that you have towards the, all these other people in your world start to impact your kids. It doesn't stay dormant. You owe me. What anger does is it causes us to um, hold the whole world hostage. What happened to me was so hurtful I can't let it go, though, because I'm so angry. Because if I let it go, it's saying that it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'll tell you what, it was a huge deal. It's a massive deal, and I can't, I can't continue on. Guilt, anger. And then third, greed. Greed is, is not I owe you or you owe me, but I owe me. This is the, the commer- we talked about this last week. The commercialization of our world says, listen, you've had a stressful week. It's been bananas. You know what? You deserve this. You deserve the vacation or the and you deserve to go to the salon, or you deserve to get a drink, or you de- whatever it is. None of these things are bad. But what we start to condition in our, our mind is the fact that I owe me this. I deserve this. Sometimes greed even uh, comes into the place of like, like, like the sexual arena. Like if I'm not being sexually satisfied, then I owe me satisfaction in some way, shape, or form. That's why pornography is an issue. I don't have access to, to a romantic relationship or, or be experiencing these, these experiences. And so I owe me the ability to bring pleasure into this scenario that I need right now. I owe me. And what, what greed does is it keeps on nurturing that self-absorbed, self-centered perspective that we think just is in our heart, and it's secretive. But again, we're only as sick as what? Our secrets. What ends up happening is that self-absorption starts to manifest it out where we're looking at every individual and every person and every relationship as being in existence to support our security, our sanity, our pleasure. It's all about me. Remember, greed, we said last week, is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. The assumption that it's all for my consumption. Guilt, anger, greed, and finally pride. 
Pride is this thing that says life owes me. I can't stand it that I am never the one that gets the promotion. I can't stand it that like, why is it that they always have good things happen to them? Why is it that, that we are always the one, why is it that I'm always the one that things are happening to me? Why is it that, that nothing seems fair? Like, why? Why would this always happen? Why is it that this person always ends up in a relationship and I'm not? Why is this person, like, their family photos look like they're having such a wonderful time and our family vacations are a disaster? Why is it? It's just not fair. Like, I have worked hard enough. I'm a good person. And I, in fact, you know what? It's not really the world owes me or life owes me. Really? God owes me this. Why in the world is God not blessing me more? How could a good God not? These are warning signs. The amazing thing that we have, though, is that the gospel speaks into this. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, it actually gives us the remedy for each one of these. As justified as we may feel with any one of these things, we allow our heart be conditioned by it, it'll wreck us, and it's wrecking us now, isn't it? It's wrecking our relationships, it's wrecking our, our peace and our security. The satisfaction and the joy we have in life is toast because this is in our heart. The pinata principle will perpetually manifest itself by whatever's on the inside. Enough life, enough time, enough stress, it's going to come out. So here's the antidote. With guilt, we have the antidote of confession. Confession actually is this amazing thing where we go to God. You don't confess to me. You go, you go to God. And, you, and, and Acts 3.19 said, confess then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out at the time of refreshing. Man, how many of us in here need a refreshing moment right now? We just feel like we're dragging through life. The time of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you are, your biggest issue, honestly, as far as owing people and like not wanting people that you've wronged is not the people in your life. You may have wronged them, but your, the biggest relationship that you've wronged is the relationship between you and your creator. That's like cosmic level wrong. And, 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 and the reality we see in scripture is that we have absolute guilt, rightful guilt, guilt that we have distanced from God and that he should kick us to the curb forever. But the gospel says that he doesn't do that. That he actually provides a way back through, not a cost to us, by us paying off what we owe, but a cost to him. And all he asks us to do is identify our need for him and ask him, and he happily gives it to us. And the time of refreshing will come. But it's not just between us and God. That's how we get forgiveness. That's how our guilt gets erased between us and our creator. But you may know, and I know, that you can apologize to God for something you did to someone else, and that's great. You have the forgiveness, but that relationship is still awkward, isn't it? right? That's why, why James 5.17 talks about um, confess your sins one to another so that you may experience healing. You confess your sins to God, you, you experience forgiveness and refreshment. You confess your sins one to each other, both the people that you've wronged and just surfacing to someone else like, look, I'm going through some stuff that I really can't handle. I don't know, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you experience healing because you're only as sick as your secrets. And if you eradicate the secrets, all of a sudden the secrets have no place to grow. And you experience the time of refreshing. You experience healing, confession. As far as anger, the way that we see ourselves stepping out of that is for forgiveness. And, and it's one of those important things that, that we can basically do by saying this. Forgiveness is, is, what forgiveness is saying in short is it's canceling a debt. Like I'm can't, you owe me for what you did. You cost me emotionally, relationally, 
financially, experientially, you've cost me, you owe me. Forgiveness is saying, I'm canceling, I'm canceling the debt. And that sounds messed up. Because it's almost like, hold on a sec, I can't cancel that debt. Because that makes me feel like saying what they did was not that big of a deal. And guess what? It was a huge, horrible, awful, toxic, abusive, whatever, deal. I can't cancel that debt. Because me canceling that debt makes it sound like, okay, I'm fine now, we're all good, and we can be BFFs again. And that ain't the truth. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, canceling the debt by saying, no, what you did was messed up wrong. People should write books about how bad it was. But I'm canceling the debt. You don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. Because if I go through life thinking you owe me, you're going to continue, and that decision that you had is going to continue having power over me. Because I'm going to keep on dragging through this world the fact that you still owe me and you still have not stepped up to the plate enough to prove to me that you're really sorry. Therefore, I'm going to be tortured for the rest of my life because I can't let this go. Forgiveness is liberating yourself and not letting this live in your heart anymore. We talked about last summer that anger is something that is so important for us to understand that Jesus' brother in the book of James cites it. He says in James 5.17 that Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not accomplish the righteous life that God desires. Our human bodies can't hold on to anger and do good things with it. Our human bodies hold on to anger like our human bodies hold on to an overdose of radiation. There are vessels that are designed to hold radiation in a way that can actually utilize radiation for positive outputs. And it can store it, it could store it for years and years and years, and it could transport it. Those vessels are great for radiation. But one vessel that's not great for radiation, to hold it for long terms of time, or to be able to use it for positive, positive is, is the human body. The human body, we, just, we hold on to it, and, and if we continue allowing it to, to impact us, it will ultimately do serious, significant damage and even death. Same thing with anger. Our bodies are not designed to hold on to anger and do anything good with it. No matter how righteous your anger is, no matter how awesome or justified you feel in being angry about something, no matter how wrong the thing you're angry about is, you're not built to hold on to it. It will mess you up. It'll poison you. There is a vessel that's great for holding on to anger, and that's God, because he can purely take those unjust realities and deal with them in his wisdom. It's so high and above what we, what we understand. Greed is something that the, the, the remedy, I'm not going to speak to this too much because we talked about it last week. The opposite of the you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, everything that you're doing is for me, the assumption that it's all for my consumption, the opposite of that is giving. When we start to like, instead of, when we start to feel that Amazon Prime drive in our brain, like I just got to buy myself something because it feels so good. Let that be the warning light and say, okay, what if instead of that, I actually redirected my funds to do something for someone else? This is why we, why, why, this is, honestly, this is the coolest thing about the people in this church. People in this church are some of the most generous people in Grundy County. You get a chance to sit next to some of the most generous people in Grundy County because this church actually leans in on that type of stuff. They want to do something that's going to outlive them and impact around the world for the gospel. That's awesome. But it doesn't stop here at church. It's like the type of generosity where we step into our, our weeks and say, yeah, we could use this for just us or just me or just my family or I could use this for someone else on Wednesday. And that type of generous life is the antidote to the greedy life. It really is. Pride, 
The opposite of that, or the way that we remedy that, is to celebrate. If you find yourself constantly looking over your shoulder and doing the comparison game with someone else's job, popularity, accolades, skills, beauty, whatever, someone else always seems to have what you want to have and you just can never quite get enough. Find yourself celebrating them. Like when you see the picture, like, oh my gosh, that person's so attractive, I wish I was half as attractive as them. Just go, nope. Rock on. That's so cool. When someone gets the promotion you wanted, oh, I slash their tires. No, send them a text. Hey, you know I wanted this, but I'm, I'm happy for you. Congratulations. When someone gets on the team, when someone has a great experience, when somebody's life is winning, even when your life is losing, the antidote for pride and jealousy is celebrating. Celebrate them. You can start that today. Who are you jealous of? Who are you jealous of? Just you personally. I don't know. Who are you jealous of? What if today you sent that person a text or a Facebook message or you made a phone call or next time you see them, you actually just encouraged them and just complimented them on something that's winning in their life, not in yours, but you're just celebrating that. You know, it, all this is, is it's, it's basically taking our heart to Jesus and saying, I need you to help my anxiety. This is interesting. Jesus says this, do not be anxious. Or Paul said this, Paul said this, which is like, thanks, Paul, that's great. How do I do that? You telling me this makes me feel more anxious. Do not be anxious. Well, like about sinful stuff, right? Right? Great, thanks. Do not be anxious about anything. For real, Paul, like your life has got tons of stress. How in the world can you say that? Do not be anxious about anything. What do I do then with the stuff that I'm anxious about that's ripping me apart inside of my heart? In every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Life will make you anxious. Life is full of anxiety. So in every situation, by prayer and petition, Bring your requests to God, and then something happens. The peace of God. That's better than a perfect life. There's no such thing as a perfect life. Not perpetually. There's great moments. It's not a perfect life. But the peace of God can speak into the anxiety of your life. It transcends all understanding. I don't know you who you listen to as a primary influencer in your life, like the greatest voice in your world, but it's better than that. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will Guard your hearts. The very thing that we're supposed to be after, the very thing that we're supposed to be all about, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, let us be the type of people that above all else will guard our hearts. For everything we do will flow from it. Let's start with just closing in prayer and asking God to do that. Will you stand? Lord Jesus, every single one of us can look at the screen of things that ricochet around our heart and identify with something, and, and Lord, feel a little defensive about it because we can justify it. But God, what we're asking you to do right now is to just break away our justifications and our defenses, and instead, you allow us to just take these things that help us feel secure and lay them at your feet. God, I pray that you give us the quality of peace that comes from you that, that's better than circumstances that are ideal, the type of peace that can exist even when things are not ideal. Lord, for the people that are making decisions with regard to their guilt or their greed or their anger, 
that they take steps of health. And because they do that, God, it starts initially a bit of chaos in their world because they finally have been honest or they finally are, are getting right. It causes people to turn away from them possibly. Lord, I pray that that'll be a guardrail that's better than going off the cliff and that over time we will have a chance to see the health that you intended and you authored for us. A life that's not just modified, a heart that's transformed. And we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All the volunteers, we'll see you tomorrow night here. Everyone else, we'll see you next.